The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the reading of God's word from Genesis chapter 36. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ida, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Aholabama, the daughter of Ina, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite. And Basimoth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Ida bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basimoth bore Ruel, and Aholabama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ida, the wife of Esau. Reu, the son of Besamoth, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Timon, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Emelech to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ida, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Rael, Nahath, Sarah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basimoth, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, the daughter of Ina, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Timon, Omar, Zephu, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ida. These are the sons of Reuel, Esau's son. The chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basimoth, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, Esau's wife. The chiefs Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Tima. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manhanath, Ebal, Shifo, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion. Aya and Ana, he is the Ana who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Aina, Dishan and Aholabama, the daughter of Aina. These are the sons of Dishan, Hemden, Ishban, Ithran, and Siran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Bor, reigned in the land of Edom, the name of his city being Danhaba. Bela died, and Job, the son of Zerah, of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died. And Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad the son of Bedad, who defeated the Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samla of Mazarek reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shoal of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died, and Balhanan the son of Akbor reigned in his place. Bahanan the son of Akbor died, and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehatabal, the daughter of Matra, the daughter of Mezahab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places. By their names, the chiefs Timna, Alva, Jetheth, Aholabama, Elah, Kenon, Kenaz, Temen, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. You may take a seat. Thank you, Carrie. Way to rush right through that. That was quite impressive. 
Wow. She nailed that. Well, today is a good day. Today is a really good day. Uh, I can't think of a better day to be uh, with my church family and exalting Jesus. It's, it's so good for my heart to, to be actually on, on this side of the band for once, to, to sing loud, raise my hands. It's so good to, to partake in the liturgy and, and, and to hear the reading of God's word, although it's a bunch of names this week. Um, but it, it does my heart so good, and I hope it does the same for yours. Um, well, my name is Sam Schmidt. I'm, a, I'm the pastoral intern here at Sacred City Church, um, and uh, I, I will be preaching today. I'm really excited. Um, I'm actually really excited that they gave me a microphone after my little slip-up with announcements a couple weeks ago. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, I do have a, a couple, uh, just one announcement this time. I hope I don't botch it. Um, we do have a visitor forum going on um, today right after the service um, for the people who, who are, have been joining us maybe over the last month or two months or since the last time we had a visitor forum. Um, it's a great opportunity to, to go over um, and hear a little bit about our vision, our mission, um, our, our philosophy of ministry, um, the, the core doctrines that we hold um, with a tight fist. Um, so if you're interested in, in hearing more about Sacred City Church, um, Acts 29 Church Planning Network that we're part of, I, I encourage you to, to go next door right after, uh, right after the service. Justin, Pastor Justin will be over there um, kind of giving you the rundown, have a Q&A session there too. So um, a, a light lunch will provide it, be provided. So if, if you're worried about um, your stomach being um, grumbly, just go over there. There'll be a light lunch over there for you though. Um, Let's kind of get right moving here. Um, this is actually my fourth time preaching. Can you believe it? You guys, at the end of the day, you'll hear me preach four times. Um, I'm really thankful um, for the opportunity to preach, to get my feet wet here. Um, I'm really thankful for the graciousness of, of the church family and, and the encouragement that I've received from that. And I'm really thankful uh, for the church leadership and Justin um, and how he has a vision to see men um, raised up and trained as leaders and, and giving us um, an opportunity to, to get our feet wet and get some experience. So I'm, I'm very thankful to you and to Justin. So, so from my heart, thank you. Um, I also know that there's a, a deep weightiness, that this, the, the, the task of preaching is a very very serious task. Um, and so I, I know that I, I'm, this text has, has left me um, very desperate for the spirit to, to show me something. So um, I come to you in, in sincere humility, hoping that I can boast in the Lord Jesus today. So um, with that, I would encourage you to look past my age. I'm a young guy. I encourage you to look past my age and, and, and look past the ways I might misspeak or say something wrong or um, Lord forbid one of those names I might say wrong. Um, and just l- let the spirit work in your heart um, and-, and listen as if God has a word for you today, which I know he does because God is faithful and he is good. Um, so I'm sure he has a word for you. If, if not from my, my lips, uh, the spirit will communicate something to your heart. So please, please, please listen um, to the spirit this morning. Um, at Sacred City, the reason why we ended up right here at chapter 36 is Sacred City, we preach through books of the Bible. Uh, most of the time, about 90% of the time, we just preach straight through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We trek right through it. We believe that all scripture is, is profitable for the teaching, for the raising up in, in godliness. And, um, and so that is why we're here. Um, and honestly, I wasn't exactly fired up to preach this when I saw that my name was on the calendar for this week. And then this text landed on this week. I was like, can we, can we cancel it? Or Justin, you want to take it? But, um, in his sovereignty, God has brought us to this text today. God has put me here today to, to wrestle with this. And, and it seems that in life, um, sometimes God takes us to places that we don't necessarily want to go. Um, he, he doesn't always give us the most glamorous route. Um, he doesn't always take us to the most appealing places. He doesn't always give us the easiest circumstances or the most um, fun people to deal with. Um, and it seems as if today in this text that this is true as well. And I can assure you... I'll say it again. I can assure you this is not my first choice <clears throat> on what to preach. Um, no preacher, no preacher in his right mind wakes up one week and says, you know what? I am going to sit down in Genesis 36. I'm going to compile the best sermon ever. And I'm going to present it to the body knowing that, man, they're going to go out and they're going to make a huge difference. No, no preacher ever thinks that. Nobody <clears throat> ever wakes up, sits their coffee on the table, opens up their Bible, thinking, oh, God, where am I going to go for my daily devotional today? Would your spirit just guide me? And, you know, I feel that you're taking me to Genesis 36 for a genealogy. Nobody, nobody says that. Nobody. 
But here we are in the middle of a difficult text. And, and as I've wrestled with this text, and, and believe me, I have wrestled with this text um, very hard. It seems like there's not a whole lot to grab onto. There's not a lot of drama here unfolding. We don't see any um, flood coming, sweeping through the whole earth. We don't see uh, uh, fire and sulfur raining down. We don't see um, anybody wrestling with God in this scene. But there is something to benefit from here in this passage. And as I wrestled with this text over the last three or four weeks, um, I was reminded of the riches and the wisdom of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, all scripture, including this genealogy, is, is breathed out by God and is profitable for, for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we, as we spearhead this, let's remember that. Let's remember that this text is here to train us in righteousness and to equip us for every good work. And believe it or not, a genealogy, I, I hope, I'm, my prayer is that a genealogy um, can do that this morning through God's spirit. Um, and genealogies are interesting. Um, it's kind of an interesting beast in and of itself. Um, we all kind of are interested in our origins, because that's what a genealogy just traces back where we came from. Um, we're kind of interested in finding out where we came from, who, who our ancestors were, who, what famous people you know, might be in our, our family heritage. Um, and some people have adopted this as a hobby. There are, there are now websites devoted to this. People spend lots and lots of hours trying to figure out where they came from. And the, the interesting thing about a genealogy, though, is, is that you think yours is interesting, and I think mine is interesting, but you don't think mine is interesting, and I don't think yours is interesting. It's just, it's an interesting thing. Uh, genealogies are interesting, but yours isn't interesting to me, and mine's not to you. Um, and so naturally, we just aren't, aren't interested in other people's genealogies, and especially um, of Esau's family, people who lived 4,000 years ago. Um, I, I don't know about you, but it was hard to really stay focused in. As, as awesome of a job Carrie did going through all those names, it's hard to stay focused because I, I don't really care about Esau's family too much. Um, and I, I think maybe the only good reason, like the only reason someone might approach Genesis 36 is, um, if they were in search of some, some baby names, possibly. <laughs> so all you expecting parents out there, drink it up here. You've got a, a lot to choose from. I, I personally like, uh, Jobab. That's a good one. Or, or Holy Alabama. So <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't know if my wife will like that so much when it comes time to name our child, but, um, I'll see what I can do there. What we're doing in Genesis 36 is, is we're just looking, we're looking back to, to see the legacy that Esau left behind. Um, we're looking to see the things that he instilled in his children and his children passed on and passed on and passed on. And to see what type of legacy he left behind. Esau, Esau was the one who set the tone for his family. And he, he actually set the tone for the whole society that would develop around them. And we see, what we see here in, in Esau's legacy is we see extreme worldly success. We'll see how, how things are going really well for him. Things are flourishing. But then unfortunately at the same time, we see how he was a, a complete failure when it came to things of the spiritual nature. Whether we, all, whether we know it or not, we're all in a process of, of leaving a legacy. No matter where you are in life, we're all in the process of leaving a legacy. Our gender doesn't determine if we are. If you're male or female, you're leaving a legacy. Not, not your race, your age, your occupation, if your parents or not. You are in the midst of leaving a legacy. And one of the most important things that we can ask ourselves from a biblical standpoint is what kind of a legacy am I leaving? What kind of thing am I passing on to my kids, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my family? What legacy, what kind of legacy am I leaving? And so today, in today's sermon, I'm hoping to explore the components of a good legacy. What makes a good legacy? If Esau could do so well and flourish, yet fail miserably in God's eyes, what do we have to do to succeed? And we'll look at who is our model for a good legacy. Who is it that we look to for the picture of a good legacy? And then we'll kind of explore what it looks like to walk that out. So that's where we're hoping to go today. I pray that Spirit is going to be with us. Let me pray for you. You pray for me. Heavenly Father, 
God, you are a gracious God. You are a kind God. I'm so thankful, God, that you have, that you have uh, reached down and saved us from our sin. That you are, in your grace, you have called us to yourself. That through the work of Jesus that we have been adopted into your family, God. And, and, and because of that, we now have life eternal in Christ. And so I pray today as we, as we look at the text, I pray your spirit would be anointing the ears of the hearers. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be softening hearts. I pray that the dead would come to life today, God, by your grace and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us here today. God, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, and may all that we say and hear be glorifying and honoring to you, O oh God. Amen. So, to give you a quick little history on, on Esau, and I'll keep this really brief. Esau is a grandson of Abraham. Okay, we have to think back maybe seven, eight, nine chapters ago to, to when we first met Abraham. Abraham was a guy that... that he was far from God. He, he didn't really have anything going for him. But God, in his grace, reached down and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised land. And, and, and through you, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so, as, as Jacob's, or excuse me, as Esau's grandson, this blessing is going to continue down through the family. Now, We've been talking a lot about Jacob lately. Jacob is Esau's twin brother. Now, Esau is actually the firstborn, but we've been hearing a lot about Jacob because Jacob is the one who actually inherited the birthright. Um, the most important thing that we need to know about Esau is that he sold his birthright. He sold his birthright from the family and from God away for a bowl of stew. This was a slap in the face to his family because he's basically saying, family, I don't, I don't, you don't have anything to offer me. Like this bowl of stew is more valuable than anything that you could pass on to me. So it's a slap in the face to his family. But, but not only that, it's a slap in the face to God because God has blessed his family in a very special way. God chose Abraham's family, his, his descendants, to be a blessing to all nations. And, and Esau says, God, I, I don't want anything to do with you. You have nothing to offer me. This bowl of stew is better than any riches that you could offer me. So that's what we need to know about Esau. He's turned his back on God. Um, and, and, and he's actually a man of, of desires and of temporary pleasure. His, his hunger to him seemed more important than, than an inheritance from God. And then we see in today's text um, that even without God's blessing, the blessing that was going to pass on from generation to generation, even without receiving that blessing, Esau is still succeeding in the world's eyes. Now Esau's got some hot wives. Notice I said wives. He's got three of them. He's got three lady friends. Um, and, and his lady friends are, are fertile. He's fertile. They've got kids. Their kids are having kids. And they're growing and growing and multiplying and multiplying. Business for Esau is booming. He's got a Fortune 500 company here. His estate is growing larger and larger every day. It seems as if he has a lot of, a lot of power and influence. And I'm sure he has the latest gizmos and gadgets and trinkets and, and whatnots. He's a lot like, he would, he would be like a present day Bill Gates or, or the late Steve Jobs. He just, the wor- from the world standpoint, it looks like he has everything together. He's doing well. He's really doing it by the world standards. And things are actually going so well for Esau that the land that he's living on, the promised land, cannot support he and his brother Jacob both. So he willingly moves to the land of, to the land of Seir. And, and what... We need to look here. What he's doing by moving to the land of Seir is once again, he's turning his back on God. Because where he's living at now, this land, the promised land, is the land that God has promised to his family. And Esau is once again moving away from God. Esau does what he wants, when he wants. Now Esau, this... this um, this mindset of do what I want, when I want, is the tone that Esau sets for his whole family. You know, he says, if you want it, go out and get it. Do what makes you feel happy. Do what makes you feel good. Do something that, where you find value. He was self-centered and he was all about the here and now. He was a very sensual man. A man who just pursued pleasure. And his family, even though he left this legacy of, of the here and now, his family went on to do great things. They moved away. 
they were intelligent enough to, to start up a city, to, to, be, to build a city. Um, they set up government. They appointed leaders and kings to rule over them. Um, they developed infrastructure in the city. Um, we see business exploding. Doctors, construction workers, craftsmen, entrepreneurs are, are all flourishing in this environment. And with that, we see a lot of culture being produced. Music and fashion and art, sporting events, nightclubs. They were doing, they were doing things well in the, in the world's eyes. And they were trendsetters. These guys were ahead of the times. Um, <clears throat> they were always one step ahead of the Israelites. I think in, in verse 31 it says um, it, it would be many years before a king would rule over the Israelites. So these guys are trendsetters. Um, the non-Christians, the, the people that, that aren't putting their faith in God are, are the trendsetters. And that seems to be kind of true for today as well. Most of our technological advances don't come from a Christian organization. They come from, I mean, maybe there's Christians working for the organization. But generally, they're, they're a non-Christian organization that's setting the trend in technology. And we see this in pop culture as well. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not too fond of the Christian mainstream, like Christian music, Christian film, um, because it's just so lame compared to everything else that's out there right now. So these guys are, are trendsetters, um, and, and they're leading, they're forging the way for advances. And, and overall, once again, Esau and his family, they have it good. Things are going well. They did a lot of great things. They developed a lot of cool things. They invented cool things. They always had food to eat, wine to drink, clothes to wear. And the world would call them successful. But as successful as they were by the world's standards, by God's standards, the legacy that they left was a complete failure. Complete failure. Everything Esau and his family did was driven by their desires of the flesh. They were only concerned with themselves. They were only concerned with satisfying the temporary desires, the temporary pleasures. And they were so wrapped up in this material world, this, this, this world of, of living for pleasure, that they couldn't see life beyond life. You know, if they were tweeting, everything that they, they did would be tagged with YOLO or live hard or whatever. No regrets. Because what they were doing was, was living for the here and now. They would do stuff that would satisfy the fleshly desires, but it would only leave temporary fulfillment. And they were left always chasing after something. What Esau failed to do, why Esau's legacy was a failure, was because he did not put his faith in God... And he did not demonstrate a life of selfless love. He turned his back on God and lived a life about Esau. A life of self-concern. He was concerned more with what Esau wants now than, than what God has in store for me. And this, these two things, faith in God and a life demonstrating selfless love, are the two things that make or break leaving a successful legacy. It didn't matter how many cities he built. It didn't, didn't matter how many inventions they had. It didn't matter how big their cities grew. It all boiled down to was a, sex, a successful legacy. What it boiled down to was did he have faith in God and who did he live for? Kent Hughes in his commentary on, on Genesis on this chapter, he says, Esau could not see beyond what was in front of him. He possessed no vision. No spiritual imagination. He had no eyes or mind for God or for heaven or for hell. Spiritual realities to him were dull and opaque. He was a single dimensional soul. Pleasure now was his guiding star. For him, all that mattered was the excitement of the hunt, a hearty meal, a woman's company. All good things in the proper perspective and place. But pleasure... Is all that Esau could see. Esau's blithe arrogance brutalized everything precious to life and fixed him on his tragic course. Esau's constant attempts at fulfilling the craving for pleasure isolated him to his own wants and his own desires. He, was, he, he couldn't see past himself. He didn't have a mind for God. He was too wrapped up in what Esau wants, what he wanted. He lived a life apart from God and for the sake and the glory of himself. 
Without faith and love, everything that Esau left behind had no eternal value. There was nothing there. There was no substance. Everything he left behind was meaningless. All the good things, all the advancements in society and culture, all of those things had no eternal value. They all came to an end. They were all temporary and fleeting. And and the prophet Obadiah says in in his book, he says that, that it'll be like Esau's family never existed. Like what they did, it'll be as if they never existed. What they did had no eternal value. All their hard work amounts to nothing. Everything was gone. It was meaningless. It'd be like, it'd be like this. It's like, say we cut down a tree, chop it up into a log. We're going to have a bonfire is what we're going to do. And we're going we're gonna to peel off the bark. We're going to sand it down. We're going to plane it down, make it nice and smooth, nice and symmetrical. Okay, then we're going to slap on a couple of layers of paint. A couple more layers of paint. And then we're going to detail it. We're going to draw some really beautiful um, piece of artwork on that. And then we're just going to toss it in the fire. Like all those things you did, you, sanding it down, peeling off the bark, painting it. It didn't matter because the log is still going to burn up in the end. So was Esau's legacy. None of it mattered. Esau's legacy... Once again, I'll say it again. I'm trying to emphasize this really hard here. Esau's legacy was a failure because it lacked faith in God and selfless love. So we look at this text. We're looking at it like we've established that point. I hope hope I've convinced you of that. And we can see that Esau's a bonehead. Like he missed it. Like poor Esau, he missed it. That stew, probably not so good now. And it's easy to look at him and point out all of his failures. And it's easy to just move, move on. But what I think this text is doing, what it's done to me, it's caused me to hold up a mirror to myself. Like, where am I failing like Esau? And, and as that mirror's held up, and I want you to hold that mirror up. I do. Hold up that mirror and look. We... Are just like Esau. There are times and seasons. Maybe, maybe it's been a long season. Where we lack spiritual imagination. Where we lack a vision for spiritual things. We think spiritual things are boring. I'd rather sit and watch TV. Than open my Bible or spend time with God. There are times when our desires for things. Are greater than our desires for God. Just like Esau. And we often look out for our own pleasures, for what would make me happy, what would make us happy, and forsake others who are in need. We too can be, and oftentimes are, one-dimensional people. We're caught up in the temporary. We're caught up in what we can see in front of us. And because because we can be these one-dimensional people... We find ourselves selling the riches that we could have in God for a bowl of stew. Any flavor of stew. You you name your flavor. We sell the riches in God for a bowl of stew. Every day. Let me ask you, what what flavor of stew are are you trading for God's riches? What are you you giving away God's riches for so you can have? Is Is it worldly success? Is it money? Is it, is it sex? Is it food? Is it influence? Is it vanity? Is it strength? Is it self-love? What is it? What are you selling? What are you pawning off God's riches for? Are you willing to base your life on that? Are you, are you willing to base your life on something that's going to fade away? Are you willing to, to let that be your legacy? Uh, a legacy of meaningless? Like, sure, you, someone will remember you for, uh, you know, maybe one or two generations. But after that, I, don't, I honestly don't know who my great-grandma is. I don't know who my great-grandpa is. Like, we become forgotten. Let me tell you here. Let me tell you. Those, what you're craving, what you're chasing after instead of God... Whatever it is, it won't satisfy you. It won't satisfy you. 
It won't satisfy your deepest longings because you were designed, you were designed to be more than a one-dimensional person. You were designed to live beyond the here and now. That's why one potato chip is never enough. That's why one cookie is never enough. I've got an empty package of Oreos in my trash can to attest to that. That's why we could eat a gourmet meal and six hours later we're hungry again. That's why one romantic encounter won't satisfy your lustful longings. That's why uh, the number in your bank account just isn't enough. You're, You're constantly wanting more. That's why when your kid says or does something incredibly hurtful to you, you're devastated. That's why you think you'll be more happy when you get the next promotion or get the, get the next degree. But you won't. Those things, those things are good things, but they have no eternal significance in and of themselves. We, you, I, am just like Esau. We're selling our inheritance in God for the flavor of of stew of the day. And this is a path of meaninglessness. It it kind of sucks. It's heavy. This is meaningless. What I'm chasing after is meaningless. All your efforts are, are being put towards something, pursuing something that is temporary and fleeting. And you're just going to want more of it later on. And we get caught up in this vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle of meaningless. And in the end, man, I, I want to emphasize this. In the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no eternal significance to show for those things. Sure, you can go on to do great things in the world by the world's standards. You can do that. You could be a president of a company. You could start... Uh, you could, I don't, you could be a president of the United States. You could do whatever you wanted and you could be successful in the world's eyes. But in God's eyes, you have failed just like Esau because you, you lack faith and, it, and you lack selfless love. And the reason for this, the reason that we're, we're caught in this downward cycle, like you're not the first ones to be caught in this downward cycle. Like ever since, ever since Adam and Eve took the apple from the tree and ate of it, all humanity has been in this spiral. We, we got tricked into thinking that, that things, that created things, can satisfy us more than the creator. And as we buy into this thought, as we buy into this thought, we get stuck. We get stuck in the cycle and we can't dig ourselves out. And God, God could have left us here. God could have left us in this. I I hope your heart feels heavy right now. God could leave you with this heavy heart. Knowing that everything you do on this earth is meaningless. God could have left you here because that's what you chose. We've all chosen. We've all chose meaningless over eternal value. But if you hear one thing today. If you've been sleeping, please wake up. This is the one thing I want you to hear. This is the good news. God didn't leave us with that heavy heart. God didn't leave us in our meaninglessness. In those places where we've turned our back on God, in the places where we've sold God's riches for a bowl of stew, God has never turned his back on us. He has never, not once, turned his back on us. He loves us too much. He loves you and I too much to leave us on that path of destruction. He loves us too much to to let us be stuck in this downward spiral of meaninglessness and of eternal insignificance. And what he did, this is is radical. This is radical. There's no other religion in the world that has a God like this. What, What God did while you were in that spiral... While you were going down, while you were on that road walking away from God, God chased after you. He saw you walking away and said, no, don't go. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. You'll be, you'll be left with nothing. There's nothing there. Come to me. God says that. Come to me and I will, I will satisfy you. Drink deeply. 
I will satisfy you. He doesn't just he doesn't just stop us from going on that path of eternal insignificance. What he does is he saves us from that path and puts us on a new path of eternal significance. A new path. No more meaninglessness. Now what we do has weight. What we do has, has value. What, you, what we do now, because what God has done, will go now to eternity. And he did that. God did that. By sending his son Jesus to earth. Jesus was the one who chased after us. Jesus, Jesus left the riches of the father and came to pursue us in our misery. And are meaningless. Jesus came after us. And what he did is Jesus lived. Jesus lived the life of perfect faith that we could not live. Jesus lived perfectly in perfect faith to God. And in selfless love. In selfless love. Jesus died the death that we deserve. Jesus did this. He did these things so that we could now have eternal value. That we could now have eternal life with God the Father, our creator. This, this is the perfect legacy. This is who we look to. We looked at Jesus. He demonstrated complete faith, perfect, perfect faith. Hebrews says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of faith. And Jesus demonstrated perfect love, perfect selfless love by laying himself down for us. That's who we look to. He is our model. Jesus, look at this. Jesus didn't leave behind a house to give to his kids. Jesus didn't leave behind a a huge wardrobe or, or some sort of political influence. What Jesus left behind was a legacy of faith and selfless love. That's it. And it was the perfect legacy. Wrap your minds around that. Talk about upside down kingdom. This world's all about chasing after things. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. Things, no. A perfect legacy is not wrapped up in things. Perfect legacy is wrapped up in in faith in God and selfless love. Not once, not once did Jesus turn from, from God. Not once did his faith waver. He modeled a complete dependence on God. He knew, Jesus knew, he had faith that God would satisfy the desires of his heart. And he trusted his father all the way to the end. Even when times got tough. Even when one of his good friends betrayed him. And it ultimately led him to his death. Jesus had perfect faith in God. And also selfless love. Jesus. Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus loved you and me. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. That we were ugly. We were dead in our sins. And Jesus loved us. He pursued us. Uh, and in his ministry, he ate with the worst people. He ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the, the ones who couldn't be loved. He touched them. He cared for them. He looked after them. In his ultimate act of selfless love, Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. Jesus left behind a legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. The perfect legacy. There's, no, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. The legacy of, of faith in God and selfless love is an eternal legacy. It goes beyond this life. It goes beyond our generations. It goes out into eternity. Because now, because of what Jesus has done, we will spend eternity with the Father. It's an eternal legacy. Forever, we will be at the, at the foot of the throne of God, singing praises to the one who delivered us. Singing praises to the servant king who died the death we deserved and lived the life that we can live. 
forever. We will always be singing of the legacy that Jesus left. Forever. Singing of the legacy that Jesus left. Not of, not of Esau's legacy. Not of Steve Jobs' legacy. Not of Bill Gates' legacy. Not of the CEO of John Deere. Not of whoever. Not, who, not Barack Obama's legacy. What we're singing about is Jesus Christ's legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. Now you have a choice. We have a choice. Knowing that, knowing, knowing the legacy that Esau left behind of, of meaningless and the legacy of eternal significance that Jesus left behind, we have a choice. We can choose, uh, we, can, we can side with Esau and, and choose a legacy uh, that fades away, a legacy that, that demonstrated no faith in God, a legacy that lives for the here and now, a legacy that, that was selfish love, it was, it was nothing but self-love. And we can be forevermore caught in this downward spiral of meaninglessness. Or, I mean, I, I hope you choose this one. Or, we can choose the legacy, cho- choose to carry on the legacy that Jesus said. A legacy of, of, of faith in God and of selfless love. Here's the thing. The, Esau's legacy points to great, how great he was. The legacy that, that Jesus left points how good and great God is. Those are your choices. Are you going to point to yourself? Or are you going to point to God? Now, if you're wanting to choose faith in God and selfless love, but I, I urge you, choose this one. Choose this one. There's eternal significance there. There's eternal riches there. It requires us to first put our faith in God. We have to first put our faith in God. We have to believe that God is enough to satisfy our deepest cravings and longings and and cravings for pleasure. We have to believe that God is enough to satisfy. Not only that, but we have to believe that God is better than those things. We've got to believe that God is better than that bowl of stew. Because he is. Let me tell you, God is significantly better than that bowl of stew. Stop going back to that bowl of stew. God is significantly better than what you're going to. And when we put our, our faith in God, we also repent of the places where we've gone to find fulfillment. We turn from those things and we turn towards God. We repent of, of that stew that we choose to eat. We, we repent of the fleshly desires that we continually place upon ourselves and, and pursue. And through that faith and repentance, by God's Spirit and God's Spirit alone, a, a sense of selfless love is produced. This eternal legacy is carried on by selfless love. You're living for something beyond yourself now. You can, you can freely lay your life down because what you're living for isn't self, it is for God. This talk of legacy is relevant to every single person in this room. Every single person. We're all leaving a legacy. People are watching you. People are looking to see what you're doing. Are you choosing self or are you choosing to point to God? Not only that, but, but people need you. People need you to live a legacy for God. Your, your co-workers who don't know Christ, your neighbors who don't know Christ, your friends who don't know Christ, they need you to leave a legacy that points to Jesus. Like their salvation may rest upon that, your faithfulness to God. They need you to leave a legacy for Jesus. And like I said, before you can leave a legacy that lasts, you must first turn from your sin and place your faith on God. And from there, as you believe that believe the gospel, as you believe the sacrifice that Jesus made for you was was extravagant, that love, that extravagant love will change you. 
God's spirit will empower you and motivate you to lay down your life for others. What does this look like? Husbands. Husbands, this looks like laying your life down for your wife. Look at Ephesians. Lay your life down for your wife. Lead her to the cross. Remind her of the gospel. Wash her feet with the water of the word. Devote yourselves to prayer with her. She needs you to leave a legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. Parents, your kids need you. Your kids need you to leave a legacy of faith in God and selfless love. And it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require you to turn off the TV. It's going to require you to turn off the TV after supper and make time for family worship. We, we provide, at Sacred City, we provide you family devotionals or, or 10-minute nightly devotionals that, that you just need to carve out time. Lead your kids well. Love them. Leave a legacy that will last. Teach them about Jesus' legacy. Siblings, friends, roommates, co-workers. This applies to you too. We must leave a legacy for those who don't know Christ. We must demonstrate the gospel and what God has done for us so that they too may see the goodness and faithfulness of God. Be generous with your time. Love them when it's inconvenient. Spend time with them. Get to know them. Know their hearts. Tell them and show them the gospel. Love your brother and sister. Love your roommate when it's inconvenient to you. Help them out when you can. If if they hit financial difficulties, show them the generosity that God has shown you by, by helping them out. What you're doing is pointing to the legacy that Jesus has left for us. Workers, students, you don't get off the hook either. Work hard, study hard, knowing that God will reward you for your faithfulness. That, that at the end, there's eternal riches for, for being diligent in your work. For working as, you, as if you're doing it unto the Lord. And, and, and by that, by your hard work, others will see that, that you're clearly not living for yourself. Your selfless love will display that you're living for something greater than yourself. Love your coworkers. Love your fellow classmates, even if they're difficult. Even when it's difficult for you. Belief. Belief. This all starts with belief. From, from what we believe, our actions pour forth. So you can go home and, and change all these things. You can go and, and cut a big check for your roommates. You can go and, and give your coworker a pat on the back. But if your heart doesn't change, the legacy you're leaving is still temporary. You must first believe, you must first believe that the eternal riches that we have in God the Father is enough to propel us into selfless acts. We must believe the gospel. Go and do these things as you remember the good news of Jesus demonstrating perfect faith in God and selfless love. This is a legacy that will last This is the only legacy that will last. A legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. In closing, I want to remind you of the legacy that Esau left. He did good things in the world's eyes. He he built cities, um, invented stuff, culture, trendsetters. In the world's eyes, he was a success, but it was a legacy of of faithful, excuse me, it was a legacy of faithlessness and of self-love. In the grand picture of eternity, what he did was meaningless. There's no significance, no eternal value. 
But I want to remind you, I want to remind you even more so of Jesus. That Jesus gave us a perfect legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. He showed us what it looks like. And then he empowered us by the power of his spirit to carry on that legacy. In carrying on this legacy of Jesus, you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters. I urge you to lift your eyes up from the things that are in front of you. Take your eyes off of the temporary Take your eyes off of of the fleeting pleasures that you could go after. And fix your eyes. Set your eyes upon the unseen. Scripture tells us the unseen is eternal. God is an unseen God. And He is eternal. Fix your eyes on God. In doing so, You'll leave a legacy that lasts. Leave a legacy that lasts. Don't be satisfied with a temporary legacy. You were designed for much more than that. And I urge you to leave a legacy that points to Jesus and not to yourself. Leave a legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. Do this. For God's glory, and it's for our good. It's for our good and for the good of others that we leave a legacy that lasts, a legacy of faith in God and of selfless love. Pray with me, please. Jesus, we, we exalt you. We're so thankful, God, that, 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 that you have left the legacy that we should aspire to. God, a legacy of... of faith in God, a legacy of of pure faith, of true faith, of perfect faith, and a legacy of selfless love. And and in that, through the gospel, we are served, God, that, that we are benefited. We are benefited into the eternal by what Jesus has done. I pray, Father, that as we come forward to the table this morning, that we would be reminded of Jesus's legacy. Uh, be reminded of the sacrifice that he made on the cross, that where his, his blood was spilled, Lord, that we would know that this legacy is an eternal legacy, that we would strive for it, that we would, that we would chase after you, God, with all our heart. Father God, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this in our flesh. But we need your spirit. So I ask spirit, please fall upon us. Empower us as missionaries in the city. Empower us as as servants of the city to, to make a difference. To leave a legacy that will last and point to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in his holy and mighty name we pray these things. Amen.